I am so glad to be back. I missed you guys. I missed the church. and I didn't miss the heat, though. I want you to know that. did not miss the heat. Oregon was nice for one simple fact. It was 70 degrees. <laughs> it was really nice. So, but, uh, but we're glad to be back and uh, glad to be here ministering and uh, being with you all. So, I remember a time when I had no fear. And uh, maybe you've had a similar, uh, similar experience, but uh, it was one of those times in my life when I found myself doing a lot of crazy, stupid things that normal people, sane people, would have would have had some type of fear where, where I didn't. Um, and uh, it, it truly boiled down to who I was hanging out with is how much craziness came out of that, or who, you know, who I was with usually determined how much craziness I got involved in. Um, And I I remember a time I was with my friends, and and we were, we used to ride our, our, like, BMX-type bikes, and, um, and that's how you do it, by the way, that's the international symbol for riding BMX bikes, but anyway, so we were riding our BMX bikes down a a little road called Glendora Mountain Road, and and if you've ever been up there, it's, like, really windy, it's, like, hairpin turns, you know, 15-mile-an-hour turns if you're a car, because you can't see, you know, people coming, and so, um, my friends and I decided it would be a great thing to get to the top and ride down on our BMX bikes as fast as we could go, especially around those hair, hairpin turns. And, and when you're doing that, even on a little bike, if you're going 30, 40 miles an hour, which we were, uh, no helmets, we didn't wear helmets, we were too cool for that. So, yeah, again, stupid, right? So we're going down this, this road, and, and we are just, man, you have to go into the other car's lane if you're going to turn and not completely fall. And so that's what we would do. With no inkling of... of logic in our minds, <laughs> I mean, teenage boys, right? And all the teenage, all the guys out there, like, I was a teenage boys, boy once, I get it. Um, didn't even think about the cars that were possibly coming up. And at once, I was coming down, and I was having a great time, and didn't think about it, and a car came around the corner, and it was like, right there, and, oh no! And so I ditched my bike, and um, I actually, it was, a, I don't know, what you call, it was like a ninja moment. I, I, I'm not very adept in these things, but for some reason, it must have been the Lord, but I ditched my bike on the ground as I'm riding it. I went, I put my foot up, ditched it on the ground, and rode it like I surfed my bike for like 20 feet. Totally destroyed the, 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 um, the pedal, though. But and it, it like slid, and it like, I was like three feet from going off the Glendora Mountain Road cliff right there. It was like 40 feet down. And even then, I was like, oh, that's no big deal. You know, I was like, wow, that was awesome. You know, <laughs> instead of, wow, I should change my life. I'm going to die. No, I, di- I didn't do that. Um, you think I would have learned. And, and there was another time when my, my buddies and I went to this place called Azusa Canyon. We'd go up there. And there was this bridge with all this water below. And what do you do when you're a teenage boy and there's a bridge and water? You jump off it. And it was about a 60-foot drop. And so we, we did that too. Realizing later there had been many people who had died or were paralyzed depending on the level of water. See, we never checked the water. You know, we didn't go down and be like, I wonder if it's deep enough. No, we just jumped off of it. Right? It's, you know, again, with the people I was with. How, how was I so fearless in those situations? I mean, those things were nuts. They, they, were, they were crazy things. Like, I wouldn't do that now. Um, and, and I mean, I just, I, did, I got my, found myself in a lot of dumb situations, but it really was because of, of who I was with that I found myself in that. And, and, and this all was fine until one time, as I got a little bit older, I was still a teenager, I found myself driving in a car. Have you ever been on the 110 freeway? It is the oldest freeway 
in the West Coast. Um, it was built before cars um, had real engines in them. And so the on-ramps are like eight feet long, and you have to go zero to 55 in like eight to ten feet. And you can't go more than 55 on these, in this freeway because there's, it's dangerous. I, they've tried to improve it, but you know what I'm talking about. If you've been on it, it's crazy. And my friend, we're, it's like 12, 1 in the morning, and he, he swore that his sports car spoke to him. And it, it said, drive me faster all the time. And so he swore that, and so I, you know, I'm sitting in the passenger seat, like, what? He's going 110 on this freeway. I'm not even kidding. And that's not the, that's not this crazy part. He goes, watch this. He puts it on cruise control, puts his chair back, sits on the headrest, and drives with his feet. That's when I started to be afraid. Because I realized that my life was in the hands of this crazy teenager. You see? Before, I was like, oh, jump off of a thing with us. Great. Yeah, fun. Let's go down this road. Yeah, fun. No, eventually I woke up and I'm like, this, this is, I, I need to be afraid. And I screamed at him and it stopped after a while. But it, it, it was nuts because, honestly, I realized this guy, I'm putting my life in his hands. I'm putting my life in his hands. I, I remember another time where fear really gripped me. I was sitting at a place where you go to hear the doom. It was a sonogram tech told us that. And, and she, <laughs> I'm kidding, for those having kids, right? Um, in the sonogram room, they, they basically said, oh, do twins run in your family? And that's when fear really gripped me. <laughs> and you could see the smile on her face, but we weren't smiling. And she's like, what's going on? And she's like, do you have kids? Yes, we have a nine-month-old. And she almost gasped audibly. Because of like, you know, in three years, we were going to have three in diapers, or in 18 months, we were going to have three in diapers. And it was crazy. And I just remember being instantly, like, I was happy, but I was also steeped in fear. Because I'm thinking to myself, I'm barely able to take care of, of three people. How am I going to pay for five? But see, the fear, as I look back, I go, mm, the fear was palpable because of who, again, I was trusting. I was trusting myself to provide for that family of three and now family of five. See, we're starting this new series called Fearless. And I like it because as we sing in that song, you know, it is well. How do we get to that place? Because at that time, I couldn't say it's well. I, I just couldn't. I was afraid. I was scared. My trust was in anything but God in that moment. And, and we're going to be looking at some interesting stuff here through the book of Joshua, and I'm really excited. But, but many of us deal with fear. And maybe it's not a daily thing, but it's something that you know is there. I, I mean, maybe you've had something similar. Let me, let me give you some hypotheticals here. Maybe you're still single, and you really don't want to be. You're trying to honor God and follow Him, and, but the truth is you still have that fear of your relationship status. And Facebook's reminding of you, of you of it every day. You know? How can I live in such a way that is free from the relational fear that grips me? How can I live as God has called me to live, fearless, even in this? Maybe it's an economic situation that you see on the horizon. There will, there will be no raises this year. You've already heard the news from up high. But your landlord didn't get the memo. Right? The bank doesn't care. The soccer coach who wants the fees, doesn't care. The medical bills, the prices at the pump, 
the grocery store, it all keeps rising and so does your fear. You try to put on a confident look for the spouse or for the kids or maybe even in front of your mirror for yourself, but you are at the proverbial end of your rope. How can I live in such a way that's free from the money fears that grip me? How can I live even in this as God has called me to live fearless? And maybe it's your health. You see, it's never been a problem before. You've never really thought about it. But all of a sudden, there's things that have happened in your life where you've, you've sat at that doctor that you begrudgingly didn't want to go to and you finally got, went to and as your family pushed you to go and now you're, you, you're back from that and you're like, I knew it was going to be bad news and you're dealing with this bad news and there's an impending surgery or, or, or an, a, a not knowing. Maybe a diagnosis hasn't been given yet and it's just fear. It's hard to say, oh God, it's well with my soul. No, it's not. <laughs> I'm afraid. Health fears are gripping you. How, how can I live even in this as God has called me to live, fearless? You can fill in the blank. Life's going to provide fears. See, what interests me is when the Bible says one thing more than anything else, I think we should take notice. And more than anything else, the Bible says when it comes to commandments, it says, don't be afraid. That's the number one commandment of the Bible. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Do you think it's something we all probably struggle with? Absolutely. And you might put on a good face, (laughs) like me, but inside, deep down inside, there is a fear. And see, the opposite of fear is peace. And so God wants us to have peace. Many times when the angels would show up and and people would, would tremble, what would they say? They'd say, peace. Because that's what God wants us to be in, is peace, his shalom. God came as the prince of peace. But many of us don't have that in our ordinary eating, sleeping life. Israel knew this fear. They knew what it was to live free from fear as they followed God, though. And that's why I'm excited about this series as we go through the book of Joshua. See, they knew the certainty of not having a home. They knew the, the, the fear of enemies on all sides. They, they were unsure of their daily basic necessities being provided. And they were tasked with a job that was way too big for them. And they could not do it on their own. And yet they learned each day as they faced their fears how to trust God. So the first thing that I want to give you And the main thing I want you to walk away from for this whole series as we go through the book of Joshua is this. And if you're taking notes, it's this simple. Being fearless means it's all about whom or what we place our trust. In whom or what we place our trust. See, when I was on that freeway, my fear became very real to me because I realized that my trust was in this crazy teenager who was not exactly in his right mind. And the same thing was true when I sat in that sonogram room. I realized my trust was in me, and I knew me. (laughs) And I knew this was too big for me. So my fear became real, because my trust was in who? Me, or that person. And maybe it's a what that you're struggling with, because these were just as bad. The what's we place our trust in can be equally as faulty, like like the economy. Because, you know, it's the economy, Right? Or, or how about that job or your health? Again, all these things are the what's that if we put our trust in, we'll fail or fall. 
It's the way it is. This is why God gives us the example from the book of Joshua. So that we will be reminded continually, as he says, don't be afraid to put our trust and our hope in him. That is the number one thing. Why? Because he's the only who that will not fall. And his plan, which is the only what, that won't fail. So the simple take-home truth we have today, I think is pretty dang simple. It's this. Fearless living can only be found in the person and plan of God. If you want to live a fearless life, it's only going to be found in the person and the plan of God. So please stand with me as we read Joshua chapter 1. It starts off this in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses uh, gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Okay, you may be seated. I want to break some of this down here because I believe that, that again, fearless, fearless always starts in who we place our trust and whom and what we place our trust, which is God. And so the first thing I would say here is fear is the crucible that helps us see who is really in charge. Now, I love this idea of a crucible. For some of you, you know what a crucible is. For others, you don't. So I'm just going to give you a kind of a simple definition of a crucible. It's it's basically a container in which metals or other substances are, are, are melted or subjected to very high temperatures so as to get the impurities out. So a crucible is this thing that won't melt, but you put the stuff in that will, and it gets all the impurities out. Which I think is very interesting, because most precious metals have a lot of impurities. Almost everything has these impurities, and so they have to melt it away. And they scoop it out, and then they get the pure stuff. That's the crucible. Um, Also, a crucible is, is a place or occasion of severe test or trial. Nobody likes the crucible. I don't like crucibles. I like them in theory. And when other people are going through a crucible and the temperature's turned up, I go, oh, you see what... But when it's me, it's, oh, right? (laughs) Because a crucible is tough. And in verse 1 here, we see a huge crucible. See, Moses, and it says, the servant of the Lord is dead. The one 
who was called by God to lead the Israelites out of bondage, the one who stood up to Pharaoh, the one God did mighty miracles through, the one that was used by God to part the Red Sea, the one whose face was glowing from meeting God on Mount Sinai and delivering the Ten Commandments and the Torah, the one who led the whole Israelite nation for over 40 years in the wilderness, he's dead. You can only imagine fear. There's a lot of people. Where's Moses? What? Moses is dead? What? But that's Moses. He's dead? Has God abandoned us? See, they were feeling the truth of what we all feel. It doesn't take much for it to get hotter. And the crucible can be a lot of different things. Maybe it's a a pink slip you find in your locker or your desk for your job, or or a doctor's cold diagnosis, a haunting phone call in the middle of the night with bad news, the late nights working on the family budget, those are fun, right? And not seeing how you're going to eat next week. All of these can start the crucible of fear. And this fear, the reason it's a crucible, because it heats up and we realize, oh, who's in charge? Who have I placed in charge? So what I'd like you to do right now I've got a space for you in your notes. And we'll wait. I would like for you to write down some fears. I want you to identify introspectively. Take this time and, and, and really write down in your notes what, what's a fear that you, that you have. Maybe, maybe it's kids. Maybe your kids. That, 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 or or you, the lack of, you don't know if you're ever going to have kids. Maybe it's job. Maybe it's stress. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's health. You know I don't. Write those down. If you can write down a few of them, the ones that are right on your mind, do that now. We need to label it. Because this is your crucible. This is where the fire is going to turn up. I love what the Proverbs say. It says the righteous see the hole ahead and they walk around. (laughs) The wicked, they don't. They just fall right into it. We need to identify the crucible before we fall into it. So do that now. We'll wait. Another way to look at it is, what's the thing that's stealing your peace? All right. Well, for for Israel, it was simple. And Joshua, see, their crucible of fear helped them to see if they trusted Moses or God. Because many people probably look to Moses, right? But Moses is now dead. And so it helped them to understand, okay, who's really in charge? And this is what God does. I love this. In verse 2, you'll see this. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. You see what he's doing is he's he's reorienting them in this crucible time, in this time where the temperature's turned up, in this time where the test is the most severe. He's saying, look, I am with you. As I promised Moses, I will do with you. God does this. You see, God affirms them personally through his person and reaffirms his plan for them to show that he's in charge. This is why we need the person and plan of God, because God and his plan will never change, no matter the crisis. They will never change, no matter the the crisis. 
This is why God reminds Joshua, everything I said with Moses, I'll do with you. You can bank on it. See, verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life, no matter the crisis. That's what he's saying. Because I'm in charge, and your faith is in me. Trust me. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. See, the psalmist knew this when he wrote, as I walk through the valley of the crisis. Your rod and your staff are with me. Jesus reminds his disciples as the crucible is coming, as he says, hey, I'm going to die. And then he comes through that and he meets them and, and he says, I'm leaving now. And they're like, no, don't leave. And he says, as surely I will be with you to the ends of the earth. I'm always with you to the very ends of the age. You see, the truth is, God has a way of using even the crisis to purify us. When the temperature turns up at work, at home, and with your health, God is using even this to build trust. See, this is what Paul talks about in Romans 8. If we look at this in Romans 8, 28, he says, we know that in all things, even crisis, even in crisis, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is not going to change that. As he was with Joshua and the Israelites in the huge fear crisis in front of him, he's with you. He knows. He's not surprised by your bank account. He's not surprised by the job. He's not surprised by the economy. He's not surprised by the health issues and death and different things going on. See, his purpose and plans will not change no matter the crisis. And lastly, we see how God can use the fear in our life to direct us back to Him. I, I love this, this aspect that we see. And if we were to put it down simply, it's courage comes as we choose God's commands above any others. See, in verse 6 and 7, God does something here which I thought was pretty interesting. He says, Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. So, so He's telling Joshua, Hey, be strong and courageous. Because you're going to go to war. You're, you're going to do what I've called you to do. And, and, and this is tough. And now we kind of get this, right? Like, if you were about ready to go to battle, you'd be scared. If you're not, you're a psychopath. Okay? That's what they say. Every person is afraid in that situation. If you're not, you are too divorced from your feelings and you probably shouldn't be there. Okay? But the truth is, if you're going into battle, you're going into work, you should be scared. Because that's your life. That's the life of other people around you. That's craziness. That's, that's tough. And he's calling them to this very tough thing. And so he doesn't say, stop it. He just says, be strong. Be courageous. And, 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 and we get this because we all have things that we are facing physically. We all have things that we have to look forward to in this week that we are afraid of. Kids, you're going back to school for those in uh, the thing. Some of you already did. You went back to school. There was a little fear there, especially going from junior high into high school. You have these things you're going to face. We face this daily. We face this fear. For them, it was very severe. But what's interesting is he says this. Be strong and very courageous now. He puts the emphatic here. Why? I mean, isn't war scary enough? No, he says, be very courageous. Why? So we could be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. You see, God knows we need courage for the war. But you know what? He says you need to have super courage to follow my commands. 
The implication here is that it takes more courage to obey God's word than it does to go to war. See, many times we face these things and we want God's courage, but what we really need is God's super courage to apply His truth to these things we face. We need super courage to, in in light of my son is sick, that's a tough thing to deal with, but to deal with it in God's commands, to deal with it in God's way, and to apply His truth in the situation, you need super courage. It's completely other thing to choose the command to love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. Amen? Anybody been there? It's one thing to say, I'm not going to hate this guy. It's a whole nother to take your day, you start your day early, so that you can get up and pray for so-and-so who you really don't like. And then, instead of just praying for him, you bless those who persecute you. You go out of your way to give them something nice, to help them. They might have a job they didn't finish. You go and do it, and they don't even, you don't even tell them you did it. So that you can be like, by the way, I did your job, sucker. No, you do it because you're blessing them. You need courage for that. You need courage for that. I needed this courage a few years, ago, a few years ago as Kim and I had a mutual friend in our life. Someone that was a young adult that had come into our life. We, we, I mean, we were kindred spirits, you know. This, this kid, I, I was always surprised he wasn't my long-lost brother. You ever met people like that? Where, where people are like, are you guys brothers? Because you are, you are exactly the same. And we love this guy. I mean, he came over. He, he actually came over and had my kids puke all over him. And he cleaned it up. He was one of those guys. You know what I mean? Just hanging out, helping, watching the kids, doing all that. I mean, he was just a great guy. We loved, we had him over all the time. And well, there came a time in our life where there was this schism. There was this thing that happened. And, 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 and we thought he had betrayed us. Like stabbed us in the back. Like, like Julius Caesar status, you know? Et tu, Brute? You know, I mean, it was bad. And my wife and I were like, oh my gosh, like, like, we, we, we can't have this person around because, because I'm, I, I, I feel like he could just keep stabbing us in the back. And, and so we did, you know, the easiest Christian, Christian thing to do, which was basically think that he was dead and gone and just lived our life like he didn't exist anymore, right? Many people have done that. Yeah. But then I started reading God's commands. You know what I mean? Anybody been there? Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, If you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come back and offer your gift. Now, as I was reading that, I did the very theological thing of, Well now, Lord, you said that if your brother has something against you, see, I have something against him, so really you're not saying for me to drop my gift and go and, you know, this is more for him, so I'll... I'll be the Christian and I'll wait for him to come to me. Right? You been there? Okay. No, maybe not. All right, maybe I'm the only one. But then I hit Romans 12. And I was like, oh! If it is all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And I knew, theologically speaking, the Greek for peace here. I knew everything and I'm going, this isn't just, he goes his way, I go my way. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, stop, God! Feed him. Oh! If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Oh! You get what I'm saying? Don't look at me at that tone of voice. I know what you're thinking. Come on now. 
You've all been there. So I actually thought, okay, how can I send him a gift in the mail? And then, you know, I mean, I literally went through, this was my thing, like I can, I can love him from afar, and then, you know, do, and too late. Kim started having dreams. I'm like, God, stop it! Literally, Kim's having dreams. Like, I had a dream we reconciled with so-and-so. Oh. <sighs> Let me tell you, you need courage to walk in God's commandments. It's not easy. And I'll tell you, I, we called him up. He didn't say anything for about two minutes straight because he was weeping. He was weeping. We missed the birth of his first child. We missed his wedding if only we had listened to God's commands first. Instead of being and trusting in ourselves, right? Please, don't miss this. The truth is that God's commands will be the toughest thing you choose in your life, but it is the only way to be fearless in an ever-changing and turbulent world. See, I've never met anyone who is courageously choosing God's commands and does not see God move in their life, but I have met a lot of people who are not choosing God's commands and they don't see God at all. Did you, did you hear what I said? Because please, hear it again. I've met a lot of people who are choosing God's commands, living courageously, and they see God move. And yet I've met a lot of people as well who don't, and they don't see God's move. They just don't. The darkest fear will flee every time in the light of faith. When I was a kid, I was, I was deathly afraid of the dark. I had to have my door open a certain way. I had to check the closet four times, look under the bed. You know what I'm talking about. Actually, this was last week. I'm just kidding. But many people suffer today with the same fear. They suffer with the same fear because they don't know the darkness of tomorrow. They don't know the darkness of their spouse, if they will or if they won't. They don't know the darkness of the job, if it's going to or if it's not. They're always opening and checking. I mean, there's only so many times you can look at your budget in one day where it gets to a point where it's like, stop it. You will not know. You just can't. It's dark. This is why the psalmist says something so awesome. He says, keep... Hold on a second. Where did I lose... Oh yeah, the psalmist says that God's word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. We need that light. We need that lamp. Without it, you'll always be afraid of the dark. This is why, look, at, look in, uh, in Joshua chapter 8, or chapter 1, verse 8, he says, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Let me tell you, I buck against memorization. I always have. Because I'm not good at it. I'm just not. But that's not an excuse. See, it doesn't say here, meditate on it day and night unless you're bad at it. Right? Or if you're having a good day, you can put it down. No. Let me tell you, in the middle of the night or in the middle of a situation, I am so glad I've been memorizing Philippians chapter 4. Because I need the encouragement of being united with Christ. I need to make my joy complete by being like-minded. Because there's many aspects in this world that are going to steal your joy, take your, give you fear. But when you're meditating on God's Word, you're going to be free. See, today we need to remember that we have God's Word and it is clear. Many people are looking for visions. We have verses, people. Stop looking for visions. Pick up the verses. 
You've got verses. You've got God's word. You've got God's love book to you. John 8 is awesome in this. It's one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible because you you get verse 32, but they don't give you verse 31. See, what's interesting is is Jesus, Jesus says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, right? Many people know that. They're like, yeah, the truth, the truth will set you free. But what does he say before? Well, in verse 31, he says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, who, who put their trust during the crucible times, during the crisis, they put their trust in him. They're not trusting themselves. They're not trusting that spouse. They're not trusting this. They're not trusting... They're, all, they're putting their trust, their ultimate trust in God. He says, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, if you stick to my commands, then, right, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you don't choose God's commands, you will never be free of fear. And if you don't have Him in charge with the trust, ultimate trust placed in Him, then you will always have fear around every corner. Fearless living can only be found in the person and the plan of God. Now remember when I had you write down your fears? Now's the time to give them to the person, the only one who can truly take them and give you peace, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. What I'd love for you to do is in this time... I, I want you to I want you to close your eyes and just bow your heads and get in that space. Get in that space, that, that holy, sacred space. In the Old Testament, I'd say, take your shoes off because this is holy ground. But right now, I want you to look at that and, and, and just present it before God. Give Him your fears. Give Him your burden. Give Him, give him these things which are weighing you down. Because can I say that Jesus' plan has always been to bring you back home to your Heavenly Father. If there's anybody that knew fear, it was Jesus Christ, and He willingly took it. Why? So that you might be free. He showed us how to put God first in our life and courageously chose chose God's commands. I mean, He said, not my will, but your will be done. My prayer today is that you would choose the Prince of Peace to guide you here on out and have the confidence of the person of God in your life and the plan of God in your life as you start living fearlessly. If you don't know Jesus, now is the time. If you've never said, Lord, I've believed in you and I put my trust in you above everything else, now is the time. Because let me say, you'll never be free from fear. You'll never truly be free unless your trust is in Him. Maybe your fear has shown you today that God is not in charge of your life or in this area of your life. You're fine with this, this, and this, but when it comes to that, well, you've been holding on to it. Well, today is the day that you hear God's commands and make that time to let His command of letting it go be the lamp to your life and the light to your path. Lord, we just come before you and we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you have commanded us to not be afraid. You've commanded us to believe on you. As Peter said to the crowd, believe upon the Lord Jesus, whom you crucified. And many turned that day and said, Lord, I believe. 
and their lives were radically changed. Lord, I pray the same for my brothers and sisters today, that I know my life today is radically changed, and I have so much peace in my life as I choose your commands and have the courage of the Lord, just as Joshua did, and the normal, average, everyday Israelite did as they went into a place that was bigger than them and, did, and fulfilled a plan and a purpose that was way bigger than them. Lord, may we remember that we could be fearless only in you and trusting in you. So Lord, right now we just want to present our tithes and offerings as well to you. As we bring the ushers on forward, we also want to say what we have is yours. And if you're new here, please don't feel like you have to give anything. This is for those in our church family who are a part of our family and who want to give in that place. We're just hoping for the ability to minister to and take care of those who are around us. But can I also say, we're a small group church too. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to be starting small groups. Our grow group gathering is going to be here on a Tuesday night. And I'll tell you, a lot of my fears are relieved when I sit together with my brothers and my sisters and they put their arms on me and they pray for me and I with them. We were created to live in community and grow in faith together. So my hope is that you, if you haven't joined one, that you would join one and be a part of that on a Tuesday night. But Lord, we just want to again say thank you. Thank you for who you are and what you're doing. Thank you for the fact that you are the King of Kings and the Prince of Peace. And that you use us And you want to win the war in front of us of the fear that cripples us today. May we live fearlessly, trusting in you and in your plan. In Jesus' name, amen.